And, you know, there are those times in life uh, that I think we've recognized in these days that, you know, we just experience those moments of trouble and trial and struggle and difficulty and fear, and quite literally, God doesn't make sense to us. I know you've all been there if, if, if you've walked the Christian journey. Sometimes we ask why, and sometimes, you know, uh, we just struggle, but we do it in faith. But today we're going to talk about something a little different than what we've talked about previously, and, and we're going to talk essentially about what do we do when those times come? Like, literally, what do we do? You know, there are some people who <clears throat> face an obstacle, and, and uh, they, they live in denial. Psychological defense mechanism. You know, they'd actually think and act as if the problem's not there. They just kind of move on, do other things, ignore. And there are people who, um, uh, you know, shrink away, I suppose. They, they think, oh, that's too much for me to deal with. And, you know, they know it's there. They're not denying its existence, but they just, you know, try to find other things to engage so that they, that they, that they don't have to deal with what's in front of them. And then there's probably the reality of what most of us do. I would think. And that is that we just get determined and we want to tackle the problem. We're going to fix the thing. I don't know if you can relate to any of those possibilities, but we're going to talk particularly today about those people who want to tackle the problem and fix it. Um, there, there are essentially three sections to this Exodus 14 chapter that we have looked at. The first section is the people of Israel experiencing the problem. You know, they see Pharaoh coming toward them and they're scared skinny. Right? I said in the most theologically and intellectually profound way that I could think of it a few weeks ago, they freaked out. Right? It's like, ah, here comes Pharaoh, and they were in a difficult spot, and uh, they just didn't know what to do, and they began to blame their leadership and so forth. Second section we looked at a couple of weeks ago, and essentially what they discover is what their hearts are to be like. When Moses says to them, God's spokesperson, be still, just be calm, relax. God's got this. He'll fight for you. You know, just be calm. It's a profound thing that he said in the midst of, you know, a very scary and difficult moment. And the third section that we're going to look at today basically describes what we're supposed to do. It answers the question, you know, fill, uh, you know God, fill, fill us in. Tell us what we're supposed to do, how we're to act, what we're to think, what we're to do. Um, I'm going to read this third section for you today. It's Exodus 14, 15 to 31. And I want you to notice what Moses does and what God does. They're the primary actors in this last section. You know, the people walk across the dry ground of freedom. Um, but what, do Moses, what does Moses do and what does God do? I want to tell you before I read it what they do. Moses does two things. Sorry, one thing. He picks up the staff, as he's told by God, and he raises his hand. He's told to do that twice. That's what he does. Um, what does God do? God literally does everything else. And I hope you're beginning to zone in already. Let me read Exodus 14, 15 to 31 for you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me in reference to the freaking out of the people of Israel? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in front and, uh, from in front and stood behind them. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel, 
Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so that neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving, and the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Did you see it? Did you see how much God did that day? It was God who hardened the Egyptians' hearts. It was God who moved between the two armies to protect it was God who drew the sea back. It was God who threw the enemy into confusion. It was God who jammed the wheels of the chariots. It was God who swept them into the sea. It was God ultimately who saved them. And I want to tell you the basic fundamental truth of this passage of Scripture is that it is God who saves his people. It is not his people who save themselves. You got that? It is God who saves his people in this passage. It's not his people who save themselves. That's all fine and good, but this still begs the question, what do we do? Well, I want to look at Moses for a little while, and I, and I want to tell you, he didn't just do one thing, you know, take the staff and raise up his hand. I want to suggest that he did two things. And the first thing that he did wasn't to take the staff and to raise his hand. The first thing that he did was to listen to God. He heard God's voice speaking into his life, telling him what to do. After he told everybody to be calm, to be still, after, of course, he was calm and still himself, he went into the presence of God, and God spoke into his life. Now, I got to tell you, that's not the, the, the first thing that many of us do when we freak out, right? If you're like me at all. Um, that sometimes and often comes down the, the road. We're more like the Israelites who panic and fear, you know, we've got that tendency to try to fix things ourselves. We've got that capacity for self-reliance somehow weaved into the core of our being. We've got this belief that I can fix this. I can do it. Let me at it. You know, there's an assumption that I'm responsible, that we're responsible. There's an assumption that we're on our own to deal with this dynamic. And we take control of a situation and we simply think it's for us to fix. It's about our strength, our ideas, and our actions. And very often we pray and we ask God to come and to help us, but is God helping us to do what we think needs done? Can you relate to this at all? Striking thing about this experience to me is that what, uh, 
Moses was told and what Moses ultimately did, Moses himself would never have thought of. I mean, how could he conceptualize the solution to the circumstance of God's people being the parting of the Red Sea so that they would enter into it, walk across dry ground into freedom? He would never in a million years thought that that was the solution that, that, that they had before them. But you see, it was he who listened to God and it was he who heard God's solution for the problem of God's people. And that's what he participated in. That's what he did. Now I want to tell you the point here is God's solutions are not our solutions, but it's his solution that we need because they are the best solution by far. And those solutions will take us to incredible and significant blessing. You know, we can try to do it on our own. We really can. We can enter into that self-reliant mentality and, and, and take things into our own hands and try to control the situation and exercise our thoughts and strength. We can do that. But we're never going to get to the, to the solution that God would give to us. It's never going to be as good. Now, what we have to do is start with humility, and we have to go to God, and we have to listen. That's the first thing we need to do. You know, the primary way we see this dynamic of God solving our problems played out in the Bible is our being saved. Our being saved from sin and from death, you know, from the reality of what Jesus himself talked about, this eternity without God in a place called hell. Um, That, by the way, is our biggest problem by far. That's your biggest problem if you haven't yet solved it. Not that you solve it, God does, but if it hasn't been solved in your life. You know, the reality is that, that you know, we are born into, into what the Bible calls sin, and people struggle with that. How can a little innocent child be born into sin? I'll tell you, every child that's born is born into the human race, and that human race has rejected God and alienated themselves from God. And born within that little child is this tendency, natural inclination to sin, to do what they want to do versus what God calls us to do. That's why we talk about children being born into sin. And, you know, it just takes a little while before they start to do it because it's so natural to them. Now, some people can live in denial about this problem, and they do. Oh, God would never do that. God of love would never send anyone to hell. And they forget about the fact that God is a God of justice. And they forget about the fact that it is Jesus himself who, I was thinking this today and I can't speak with with authority because I haven't taken time, but I think it's Jesus more than anyone else who speaks about this reality. Jesus comes and 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 he warns us and he challenges us. And the word of God says over and over and over again, this, my friends, is your greatest problem to those who are willing to listen and to hear. So when we do sort of move beyond denial and we start to face this reality, you know what normally happens is that self-reliance kicks in. And here's what happens in the lives of most people. You know, we think, okay, I, I, I have to get into heaven. I have to work this out so that I'm not in hell, but I'm with God forever. And our thought is, I can solve this. It's actually up to me to deal with this problem. So we start to live a good moral life and we start to sacrifice and we start to serve and we start to give. And we literally think, you know, God is going to see my actions and he's going to accept me because, what I, because of what I have done. And I want to tell you, the whole Bible, including Exodus 14, says this is not possible. We can't save ourselves any more than the Israelites could save themselves from Pharaoh. Do you understand that? They didn't have the power, nor do we. 
We're like them. You see, we need to hear from God. We need to listen to God and hear about his solution that we would never think of in a million years. And what is that? That remarkably, astoundingly so, God has sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to die on a cross and to there, it says, Peter wrote to bear our sins in his body on the tree. He literally took the sins that you and I commit and he took them to himself and he suffered our penalty so that we could be freed of it, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could then be accepted by God, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. I want to tell you, my my friends, just like in Exodus 14, God has made a way of escape for us. It's his idea that we have to listen to. It's his idea that we have to buy into and participate in so that we might walk from what was into what will be, captivity and slavery to sin into the freedom of the people of God, living as he calls us to. I'm going to read a couple of really famous verses for you here. The first is Ephesians 2.8 to kind of play out this dynamic. It says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. That is a mouthful. It is by grace you have been saved. What does grace mean? Well, if you're here Good Friday, we had this awesome service, so I think. Sometimes I pat myself on the back publicly. Uh, But we had this service where we talked about justice and mercy and grace. And what is grace? It's simply not not that God doesn't punish us the way that we deserve. That's mercy. But he sees us where we're at, but he blesses us way beyond what we could ever anticipate or way beyond what we deserve to receive from him. God gives us grace and we are saved through faith. You know, it's this dynamic of, 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 of hearing from God and actually believing in what Christ has done, hearing from God through Scripture, hearing God maybe even this morning, and recognizing it's not what I do, it's what I believe that makes the difference. Another famous verse, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, that includes every one of you, that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say who would ever live a good life and serve well and sacrifice lots and give lots. All we do is believe. We believe in the solution that God has provided and in our believing we are saved. That's the faith part. And it goes on to say this, and it's not from yourselves that it is a gift of God. So, but not by works so that no one can boast. You know, think about this reality. It's not... It's not from ourselves. It's not of me. It's all of Jesus so that we can't boast about the fact. No one can stand back and say, look what I have done. I've been good enough and through my good actions, God has accepted me. It's not by works so that no one can boast. It's not from ourselves. It is a gift of God. It is something that God gifts to us. We do nothing except receive it by faith. Do you believe that? Romans 6.23, another famous verse, speaks to the reality of the danger that human beings live in. For the wages of sin is death. Think particularly spiritual death eternally. But there it is again, the gift of God, that which God blesses us with, he just gives it to us, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, my friends, this gift of eternal life. It isn't earned. I want you to hear it. It isn't something that we accomplish on our own. It has nothing to do with what we do. It is received by faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the, the parting of the Red Sea 
is about how God saved the Israelite people. He came in power and he acted and all they did was walk through. They didn't do anything. They just escaped. (laughs) And it speaks to us of the reality of our lives and how he saves us. I want you to hear and understand this. It is his power and not ours. It is his action and not ours. Question becomes, anyone here? I have two questions for you that I hope you really will grapple with both this morning and and, and beyond. But is anyone here living in self-reliance expecting that what you do will get you into God's heaven? That may be the most important question you're ever asked. Is anyone here living in self-reliance expecting that what you do will get you into God's heaven? I want you to hear this because I hope you're listening today. Self-reliant people don't get into heaven when it comes to salvation. They just don't. We have to give up self-reliance and we have to rely solely on the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us totally and completely. What we have to do is admit our inability to save ourselves and we have to believe what God has spoken. We have to believe what God has done in Christ on the cross in his death and ultimate resurrection. That's lesson number one from the text. We've got a problem. God has acted to provide the solution in a way we'd never think of and we choose to believe it or not. I hope you will. Here's lesson number two. Once we come into that relationship with God, once we believe in the things of Jesus and what he has done and we approach him in prayer as an expression of this newfound faith that God has gifted to us and after we have asked for forgiveness of our sins and invited Christ into our lives and and, and committed ourselves to following him as our savior, as our Lord, as our king, as our leader in life, we have to keep living the same way that we have been saved. Look at Colossians 2 verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. In the same way that you came into faith, came into that relationship with God by faith, so continue to live your lives in Christ himself. Um, And this brings us back to our problems in life. I want you to start to apply uh, what I'm about to say to the problems that you're dealing with right now. I just look at all these people gathered here to know, and I, and I know there's at least one problem in each person's life. I'd be really shocked if it, if it wasn't so. Some of them are big and some of them are little, but it's just a reality of life. So start to apply these things. What do we do when we're there, when we're struggling and we're even brokenhearted, when we can't figure out what God is up to? Well, it's very, very simple. You know, we got to get still in the presence of God. We've got to be calm, and then we have to listen. And we have to do what God tells us to do, as did Moses, so that we can then watch God act to save us. You know, I love what I've heard recently about the fact that God is both sovereign and omniscient. Sovereignty means that God allows and he orchestrates all the events of our lives, just as he did, did with the Israelite people. You know, we wish, as God allows things that we suffer from, that he wouldn't allow so much very often. We don't always understand the things that God allows. Let me tell you this. People who don't suffer in life never get to the place of faith in life that those people do who have suffered. 
Let me say it again. People who don't suffer in life never get to the place of faith in life as those who do who suffer. You see, these times change us. And thus, God allows them. Um, They give us faith to see, as did the Israelites, to see God act in powerful ways in our lives, just like the Israelites. Can you imagine that day when God parted the sea and Moses took the staff and he raised his hand and the people walked across on dry land? It says twice, walls of water on the left and on the right. It's like, oh my goodness, what's going on here? God did this for us? Wow. It would have been an amazing thing to experience. And I want to tell you, my friends, like God could have gotten those, the Israelites to the promised land without this whole experience with Pharaoh. You understand that, right? Did God have the capacity to get them from Egypt into Canaan without the struggle of Pharaoh and the threat to their lives that they experienced? Of course he could have. He's sovereign. But that's not what he chose to do. He chose the path that they walked so that they could ultimately see him act in power and in might, so that he could glorify himself, so he could build their faith, so that he could bless them and bless this world. We're still talking about it, right? So that's the sovereign capacity of God. Now, this idea of omniscience, it means that God knows everything. He knows better than you what you need and what I need. He knows when things should happen and when they shouldn't. For example, he knows when we should be well and when we should be sick. Ever thought about that? He knows when we should be doing well financially and when we should be living, you know, not so well off or even poor. He knows when we should be gainfully employed and he knows when we should be struggling with unemployment. He knows when we should be married and when we should be single. You know, he knows when we should be happy and enjoying life, and he knows when we should be struggling emotionally. God knows. And in the midst of those negative experiences, it's for us to sit back and say, God is sovereign, and he knows what's best, and I am going to trust him right here, right now, because he is at work in my life, and he is taking me somewhere, somewhere beautiful and good. And I want to tell you, my friends, when we're in that difficult, struggling place, as, as actual steps toward I've, what I've just described, what do we do? We listen to God. We get quiet in his presence. We be still. We live in a, a, with a sense of calmness in our hearts. And whatever God speaks into our lives, that we do. Second question for you today, and it's, I think, probably the most pressing question, most significant question, second to the one that I've just described to you in this whole series that I've preached. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had God part the Red Sea for you? Now, you know I'm speaking figuratively here, right? You know, don't go down to Lake Ontario and, you know, grab a stick and stretch out your hand. Have you ever had God come and act in power in your life to solve your, your problem? Have you ever stepped back and given up control? Have you ever said, as I suggested a couple of weeks ago, God, I can't, you can, so I'm giving this to you. So much so that you've seen God step into your problem, into your circumstance, and act in your life in a significant and dramatic and in a powerful way. The 
Have you ever been in that place of struggle and difficulty and fear and so trusted in Christ and given him your problems so that you experience him just like the Israelites did? So that you end up, as verse 31 says, seeing the mighty uh, hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians. You know why I think this is such an incredibly important question? There are so many people believe, and they believe sincerely, and they, they do believe in the work of Christ and the cross, work of Christ and the cross and in his resurrection for them, and, and, and they, they've got those sort of basic dynamics figured out, but they never experience the reality of the movement and the power of God in their lives. And I'm asking you today, have you encountered that? Have you seen it? Have you lived it? And have you ended up just amazed about what God has done to solve your problem? You know, I'm here to tell you today, that's what God wants to do in your life all the time. We've got to get to a place in our faith where we are encountering the reality of the living God. So much so that it's not the exception, but if you would, the rule. Here's what I want you to know. God loves you. That's sometimes the most difficult thing for people of faith to really, at a deep level, believe with all of their hearts. He loves you. And if you find yourself in a difficult, challenging, painful place, he will never, ever leave you alone. He is there for you. He is ready to step in. He wants to step in to solve your problems in ways that you can probably never imagine. He wants to help you. He wants to save you. But we have to let him do it. We've got to step back and say, God, I can't do this. You can, so I'm giving it to you. We have to recognize that the Pharaoh in our life is just way too big for me to handle. And even if it's not that big, I'm going to give you the problem anyway because you're a saving God and you love to save. And it may be today there are people here who have never listened to God in the way that you have heard him speak today about this idea of initial salvation, about this reality that, that it's not me, it's not what I do. It's all about Jesus and what Jesus has done. And we're going to take a moment of silent prayer in a little while, and I want to invite you to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't save myself. I get it now, but I pray that you will save me because I believe in what Jesus has done in the cross. And I want to tell you, if you will give up that striving and that control and that, that, that desire to prove yourself to God, and if you will simply believe in Christ and his saving action on your behalf, you will be saved eternally the sea will part and you will walk through to the promised land let's call it heaven that might be what you do with God today but for those of you also who might be struggling with a specific problem he wants to continue to save you he wants to rescue you he wants to deliver you from what you're dealing with right now and I can guarantee you, based on the word of God, if you will step back, give up control, invite him in and just say, Lord, I can't, you can, so I'm giving it to you, you will see the mighty hand of God at work in your life. I want to suggest today, my friends, if you haven't encountered this, if you're not encountering it regularly, I hope, because of what I'm saying, that you're developing a longing in your heart for more of God. God showing up. 
God acting in your experience. God proving to you his power and his love for you. But as I've said, we've got to let him do it. We've got to position ourselves before him, recognizing who, is, who he is and what he can do, recognizing who we are and what we can't do. And by faith, trust him. So we're going to pray, give you a few moments of silence with God. And I'm going to ask you, whatever God is leading you to do today, to give him your problem. If you've never really received him by faith and abandoned your quest to prove to him how good you are and how worthy you are and how much you deserve heaven, give up the quest and trust solely in the work of Jesus. Believe it and tell him you believe it and trust him with your whole life. If you've got a problem right now that uh, seems pretty big, same deal. Say, God, I can't and I'm looking to you. Take my problem. Rescue me. Save me like you once rescued and saved and delivered the Israelites because I long to see the power of God at work in me and in my life too. Let's pray. God, hear the prayers of your people today. Um, My prayer, Lord, is that they have heard from you in a new way today. They have listened and they have heard what it is that you're calling them to. And Lord, for those people who need to stop striving to earn their salvation and are ready just to accept the work of Christ on the cross on their behalf, I pray that you will enable them to do that very thing, to simply trust in Jesus and accept him into their lives and receive him by faith, confess their sin before you so that you might save them. God, for the people with the problems, I pray that you will enable them to give their problems to you and to leave it there. To then watch what you will do for them as a God of love. Lord, hear the prayers of your people now as they come before you. Lord Jesus, there's a life that you want us to live. Not of self-reliance and uh, focus on our abilities and our ideas, but a life of relying on Jesus and his ideas and his strength at work in us. God, for those people today who have given you their problems, whatever that problem might be, I pray that you will show up in their lives like you showed up in the lives of the Israelite people. And I pray that you will prove to them in dramatic and powerful ways what you can do for them. Leave us all, God, amazed at who you are, how real, how present, how powerful God is, how much you are ready to love us. Thank you for this time together this morning, God. Thank you for this series which has been um, so real. And we would simply pray today that... um, as we go from this place in a little while, that we would go to live out this dynamic 
that it might become real in our lives and that we might end up having seen the mighty hand of God at work in us. And as the Israelites once were, just awed by who you are and what you can do. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Just stand with us.